Hi, welcome to Restoration Church. I'm Pastor Rachel, and I'm excited for this new series that we're launching. It's called The With God Life. Now, I'm going to set it up today, and different people will be teaching over the next months. And I think it's going to be a really rich understanding of how we can live a with God life where the burden does seem lighter where we really do lean in and let him lead and let him hold things for us and give us um, wisdom and understanding in new ways. So here's a story about a lovely Christian, right? 21 years old, you walk down that aisle and say yes to Jesus. You know, and, and, and they call this the honeymoon phase even even here. It's, it's all about you, you know, and that's the honeymoon phase. The reality is it's a lot about how you feel. And so everything feels like a miracle. And there's all kinds of feels that you've got. You start working down that list of top 10 sins. You're going to slay it with God, right? And you're showing him and proving to him all the ways that you love him and all the ways that you're changing. And then after a few years, you can kind of sometimes, a lot of people get into a bit of a rut. You know, it seems like this relationship isn't making you feel quite as good as it used to. All these rules are starting to seem a little legalistic and suffocate you. And you're looking out there and the world's looking like it's having a little more fun. And you start maybe picking apart, maybe first the church or just Christians in general and how they don't behave well or what's wrong with them. And and maybe eventually you kind of start picking on God and, and you know, you're like, well, you know, if you were really God, why would this happen? If you're a good God, how come bad things happen or or whatever whatever those things are? And And to some degree... This rut is kind of a healthy disenchantment, right? Because you've been approaching this relationship with God for what it does for you instead of who he is. And so Romans 14, 7 to 8 says this, For we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. See, the game changer the way to get through that that post-honeymoon phase is when you make the switch to how am I partnering with God's work here on earth instead of how is God partnering with my work here on earth. Now, we don't like to say it out loud, but we we live like that. We say, God has to do things for me. I pray he answers. He makes my life better, and that's why I love him. See, that's not the way that we're supposed to do this thing, and it won't last you'll get disenchanted. You might even turn away and give up. But not if you say from the get-go, how am I partnering with God's work here on earth? How am I finding out what God is doing and jumping in with him? So our goal is that, to find out what he's doing just around us, sign on to it, to live in understanding this is his universe. It's governed by his immutable character, And his principles, no matter how far we go or what we try to say or how we try to twist things, the reality is this is his world. It goes according to his principles. And there's not much we can do except acknowledge his lordship. And this is our reasonable service, according to Romans 12. One, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or rational service. 
And that's so mind baffling for us that that is just reasonable service. And that is such a good place to land that it is my reasonable service. The God of the universe who created all things and who has this whole, the axis of the world spinning on his principles that I would present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's rational. That makes sense. Like anytime I try to go against God's ways, it doesn't go well. So this Christian life will only make sense when we stop trying to get God to make us feel good about ourselves and our relationship and instead surrender fully to this idea of a with God life. This is the kind of life where we accept Jesus as our life rather than into our life. This is the kind of life where we surrender our lives to him rather than commit our lives to him. You see, surrender, give you have no, when you, when you surrender, you have no rights. You'll do whatever the opponent says. When I commit, I hold all kinds of power there, right? I'm choosing to commit. I'm holding the power here and I can uncommit. But we want to be surrendered. The kind of life where we live a life of devotion rather than just have our daily devotions. The kind of life where we live a praying life rather than just pray at dinner. The kind of life that we give generously to all from a mindset of abundance rather than transaction. I don't give to God or to others to get back from God or others. I give because he first gave to me. Plain and simple. That is his universal law. Is that pressed down, shaken together, running over. That we should be running over with his goodness. That his goodness chases us. And so we have so much to give others because it's just flowing out of us. The kind of life where we read the Bible to look for the revelation of who God is. Not just some sort of like verse of the day that I can hold on to, although that's fine. But deeper than that, I want to read to say, who are you, God, in this story? Who are you in this passage? Who are you? Not who are you to me, but who are you, the God of the universe? The kind of life where we look for places to partner with God, where we come into these places, instead of assuming that we're bringing him with us to add strength to our agenda. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are going into spaces that he is already there. It's his world. There's no place you can go that God does not exist. I am not bringing him with me into those places. I'm looking for where he already exists, and I'm partnering with him on his terms, not in my agenda. The kind of life where we lean into his strength and wisdom and grace rather than pray for our own strength, wisdom, and grace. See, I'm looking for God's strength, wisdom, and grace because any kind of wisdom and strength and grace that he gives me apart from him, it's not enough. And I'll take the credit for it. I want him to get all credit. I want to look for his strength and his wisdom and his grace. Now, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, they're a couple of pastors from the 70s, and they coined this with God life phrase. And it was to describe a movement away from the idea that we get saved, and that's kind of a one and done thing. Saved, but not necessarily in a doing life together way. Just kind of like we just have to prove to God and others we're saved. Nope, it's so much richer than that. 
We don't have to prove to God and others anything. We just have to sign on to what God's doing. You can be married on paper, but not in practice. Do you know what I'm talking about? So you can actually have a piece of paper that says you're married, but you're not doing life together in any sort of meaningful way. Now you're still married and you can prove it. But is your life richer for being in intimate fellowship with that other human? Are you and that other person changed from that covenant relationship? See, that's what God wants from us. We don't just have to prove we're saved. He wants us to be in intimate fellowship with him. He wants us to be changed because of the time that we spend with him, because of the proximity that we have with him. So, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard had this vision to help Christians change the way they viewed this relationship with God. And they they started this language around this. Now, I'm going to take us back to Genesis 1 because our story starts in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3. Now, sometimes we live like we started with sin. But that is not our origin story, and we need to remember it. So listen to Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So what kind of God do we serve? How, what is our origin story? He created this incredible world, teeming with interconnected life and energy, incomprehensibly regenerative. He created all of us in his image, both male and female. Somehow, I don't quite understand it, but it takes all of creation to reflect his likeness or his glory. And I'm sure even then we probably fall short, but there's some sort of collective in his image that he assigned. He then assigned us both male and female responsibility for dominion or the word has this governance idea to it of this amazing earth. Now submitted unto him, but governance of this earth so that we might delight in it so that we might create in it, that we may love it well. And then you know what he did? He visited in the cool of the evening. I love this picture of Adam and Eve just taking a stroll with God in the cool of the evening, in the garden. You see, that's who God is. That's that's what should be front and center of our idea of our relationship with God. Now, since the fall in Genesis 3, which is real, we do have sin. He is guiding us towards the restoration of this intention for creation. Now, Satan would have us believe he loves us to think our stories in Genesis 3, that our sin is always before us, that we're just weighed down with our sin, that God doesn't want anything to do with us because we're such sinners. But thanks be to Jesus, who took on the form of a human body, was an example of 
for us of this with God life. And then he died and rose again so that God won't see our sin. He conquered sin. God doesn't see our sin when he looks at us because Jesus' blood is between us and God. And he has absolved us. Now, we're not defined by our sin, but it is always before us. I have sin in my life. This doesn't mean that I don't sin, but it means that's not my definition. And that is not how God sees me. He sees me complete in heaven. He sees me perfected because of Jesus' work on the cross. So I am going to choose to be defined by the original intention that God had for me from the beginning that I was created for good things, to exercise dominion and governance over creation under God. But we cannot exercise this God-given authority well without submission to his ways through a with-God relationship rather than doing things for God. When we try to exercise dominion without God but for him, we end up with all sorts of evil of our own making. Now, we did a discussion here at Restoration of what are some of the things that Christians have done for God but without him that have led to great evil. And you can imagine some of the things that have happened, Inquisition, right? We have Holocaust. We have all sorts of things that have happened even more recently. We've had riots and insurrections, right? We have these things of people doing things for God, maybe even carrying a cross, but without God. And we can focus this in a little closer to home. What do I do in my own home and my own church? That I say I'm doing for God, but it doesn't always seem like I'm doing it with God. And we talked in this group about, you know, we can get over-programmed. And, and Lord knows I've, I've been guilty of doing a program for God, but without him and with a bad attitude. And so this is something that in our humanity, of course, you know, we want to do things for God. Out of love out of relationship, but I'm going to tell you if we're doing it for him, but without him, it's not going to lead to good things. So how now shall we live? We have to live this with God life. And how do we live it individually as well as communally? We do it with truth and grace, truth and grace. It sounds so simple and yet it's not an, it's a simple and yet complex way to live. You know, grace is not opposed to effort, right? It doesn't mean we don't put any effort together. It's not this sloppy grace, as they used to call it. It has an effort to know who God is and what it is to live with him and where is he working and to seek him through scripture, through prayer, through community, through all sorts of ways. But it is opposed to earning. Earnings an attitude where effort is an action. I want to take action with God. But what I don't want is this attitude that I have to earn God's favor. See, as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to act in partnership with God, to dance with the Spirit. But Jesus has already done the work. We don't have to earn anything. We have to put forth effort in tandem with God, in tandem with the Holy Spirit. See, with God, life isn't just Netflix and chilling. We are partnering with the God of the universe, and he is always working on some really big projects. We aren't just standing by watching him work. We are partnering with him in the work. We are putting forth effort. We are the human expression of his kingdom here on earth. 
So it takes effort on our part to live within the grace context of a with God life. In the next months, we will be digging into what effort might look like in some of these practices of our faith, in salvation, in the exchange life, Christ in me and I in him, in a surrendered life, not my will but yours, God, a with God life prayerful, praying life, devotional, worshipful, abundance, wonder, beloved, witnesses here on earth. Our calling as a faith community, we want to learn how to put into practice this with God life that Jesus modeled. Over and over, Jesus would say, but not my will, it's my father's. I come to do what my father tells me to do. We want to be those people. Here's the beautiful thing about this idea of a with God life. Guilt's not even helpful to this kind of life. See, he already knows everything about you. And yet he can't see your sin because of the work of Jesus on that cross. So when we have conviction of sin, it simply presents a a place for redemption, a vision for change. Now, condemnation is never of God. We are not condemned, but we can be convicted. Our sin can convict us. The Holy Spirit will use those, those sinful ways of ours to say, hey, no, 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 no. You're better than this. You got to get with God. He'll challenge us because he sees the potential. So over these next few months, as we learn together and lean into this understanding of how to live a with God kind of life, let's hold each other accountable. As a faith community, let's approach every space as an opportunity to look for God, partner with him. We want to love him well and love his creation well. This is a compelling testimony to our world. Remember Romans 14, 7 through 8, for we do not live to ourselves. And we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is a compelling testimony to our world. I want to end this time with a poem written by Adam Ormord. And I think it sums up this with God life so beautifully. So if you find a quiet place and just let these words kind of sift over your spirit and soak into your soul. Here we are once again, somewhere in the middle, between the already and the not yet, between what is and what's to come. Emmanuel, God with us, be with us now in the waiting and the longing the hoping and the praying, the singing and the silence. All our little wants loom large as we wait. The pleasures of more tickle our taste buds and candy our conscience. We say you alone are enough, but how quickly we are bent right back toward ourselves, looking downward, limping and listing toward the next best thing. In this temporary and necessary now, deliver us from the tyranny of our fancy pharaohs and the bondage of our shiny shackles. Grant us safe passage from graves to gardens, from dead ends to daily bread, from hostility to humility, from panic to peace, from saturation to simplicity, from restlessness to restoration. Precious Prince of Peace, whose gift of selfless love makes all things new. Begin with us as we seek you, behold you, adore you, and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.